Due to the graphic nature of these crimes, listener discretion is advised. This episode includes discussions of violence, eating disorders, statutory rape, and pornography that some people may find offensive. We advise extreme caution for children under the age of 13. Becky Watts shifted in her seat, avoiding eye contact with her psychologist. The dark-haired woman sat in a cushioned chair a few feet away and watched her client carefully. She could tell Becky's eating disorder hadn't improved just by looking at her. The 12-year-old's collarbones protruded beneath the straps of her tank top. Her cheeks were hollow, her elbows sharp. Instead of asking about food, however, the therapist steered the conversation towards school. Becky hated school. Her voice cracked when she talked about the bullies who pushed her, tore pages out of her books, and stole her coat. They called her ugly and fat. She told her psychologist that all she wanted was to be skinny. Then maybe the bullies would leave her alone and she would be safe. After that, Becky fell silent. She slowly raised her gaze and met the dark-haired woman's kind eyes. Her therapist asked if there was anywhere she did feel safe. Becky thought for a moment. She felt good at home, but only if her stepbrother wasn't there. She definitely didn't feel safe around Nathan Matthews. Hi, I'm Lainey Hobbs, and this is Crimes of Passion, a ParCast original. In the legal definition, a crime of passion is a violent crime that occurs in the throes of extreme emotion, leaving no time to reflect on the consequences. But in this show, we explore how passionate relationships sometimes lead us to criminal activity. How does a husband and wife become killer and victim or killer and co-conspirator? If there's a thin line between love and hate, what manipulates our relationships into deadly results? You can find episodes of Crimes of Passion and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify or wherever you listen to podcasts. To stream Crimes of Passion for free on Spotify, just open the app and type Crimes of Passion in the search bar. This week, we'll discuss Becky Watts' relationship with her stepbrother, Nathan Matthews, and his girlfriend, Shauna Hoare. We'll explore the fraught history of their blended family and the conflicts that led to disturbing crimes, which shocked the city of Bristol, England. Next week, we'll discuss the tumultuous investigation that followed and the widely publicized trial that transformed the lives of everyone involved. We have all that and more coming up. Stay with us. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. 
The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. TommyJohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code SPOTIFY for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. In December of 1998, 34-year-old Darren Goldsworthy fell in love for the second time. He had recently split with his longtime girlfriend, Tanya, the mother of his two children. He wasn't looking for new romance, but he couldn't stop himself from blushing when he ran into 32-year-old Angie Matthews in one of Bristol's sprawling parks. Darren and Angie had first met two years prior. Because they were each in relationships at the time, they'd kept their distance from one another. But that chilly day, they were both single, and seeing Darren filled Angie's stomach with butterflies, she knew she had to talk to him. Their meeting felt like fate, and their ensuing relationship was the easiest, most natural connection either had ever experienced. Besides their innate chemistry, they shared similar circumstances. Angie had one child, 12-year-old Nathan, and Darren had two, six-month-old Becky, and her older brother Danny, who was nearing four. For the children's sake, Angie and Darren took things slow. Instead of moving in together right away like they were itching to do, they eased Nathan, Danny, and Becky into their new relationship. For Darren and Angie, there was never any doubt that they would be a family. According to Angie, we were always meant to be together. I always knew it would be Darren and me. In 2000, after about a year and a half, the couple decided it was finally time to move in together. Soon, the couple bought a house in East Bristol, but had to work long hours to keep up with expenses. During the work week, Nathan stayed with his grandmother in the village of Warmley, while Danny and Becky stayed with their mother, Tanya. Darren and Angie spent their time at work daydreaming about the weekends. When they had all three of their children in the house, everything seemed perfect. They planned picnics, bike rides, and camping trips to make the most of the small amount of time they had with Nathan, Danny, and Becky. Still, things weren't always ideal. Even after two years, Darren had yet to gain the trust of Angie's 14-year-old son, Nathan. Nathan had never known his biological father. That spot on his birth certificate was left blank and Angie refused to talk about him. Although Nathan liked Darren, he didn't want to get attached. His mother had dated other men before and none of them stuck around. But Darren's children, five-year-old Danny and two-year-old Becky, loved Angie as if she were their biological mother. When Sunday evening rolled around and it was time to go back to Tanya's house, Danny pouted and Becky sobbed. At first, Darren thought Danny and Becky were just anxious about being separated from him and Angie. 
However, he soon started to wonder if something more was going on. Becky seemed chronically nervous and withdrawn. She hardly made a noise all weekend. Then, when it was time to go to Tanya's, she bawled and screamed until she made herself sick. Worried for his daughter's safety, Darren reached out to Tanya, who dismissed his concerns. She accused Darren of trying to tell her how to parent her own children and brushed him aside. Unfortunately, Darren's worst fears would soon be confirmed. Though it's not known exactly what Danny and Becky endured at Tanya's home, they were being neglected. At just three years old, Becky was especially vulnerable and would be impacted by these experiences for the rest of her life. Before I continue with Becky's psychology, please note, I am not a licensed psychologist or psychiatrist, but I have done a lot of research for the show. In a study of children aged six months to three years, Psychologists from the University of Toronto found that victims of neglect had delays in cognitive function, motor development, and language. Becky had yet to say her first word by the age of three. Although Darren chalked her silence up to shyness at first, it's possible Becky's speech delays were a symptom of neglect she experienced at Tanya's. According to Dr. Nathan Fox, a child development specialist at the University of Maryland, neglect teaches babies that their cries will not be responded to. Thus, neglected children can become quiet and socially withdrawn, even if they eventually receive better care. In September of 2001, Darren got a surprise call from social services, letting him know that Becky and Danny had been taken into foster care. Darren's heart raced. He knew Tanya wasn't the most attentive parent, but he had no idea the situation was so bad. Darren offered to pick up his children immediately, but the representative said that was out of the question. Now that Danny and Becky were in state custody, he would have to go through the courts to get his children back and battle Tanya for custody. For Darren and Angie, the next six months were a nightmare of paperwork, endless court dates, and desperate pining for their children. They were allowed to visit six-year-old Danny and three-year-old Becky at their foster home, but it broke their hearts to see their children so confused. Darren promised they would be back home soon. In March 2002, after proving he and Angie were fit parents, Darren was awarded full custody of Becky and Danny. His happiness bordered on delirium. He and Angie bought the children a slew of new toys, hoping to give them a perfect welcome back home. Darren watched Becky play with her new dolls. He was struck by how gently she handled them. When Danny was young, he made his G.I. Joes fight to the death. Becky, on the other hand, held her babies as if they were real, albeit tiny, people. Darren loved his daughter's tenderness, but wondered if it had been caused in part by the neglect she'd suffered. He knew Tanya didn't take proper care of her, and he worried the foster home was even worse. The thought of Becky never being able to stand up for herself made his stomach drop. But he couldn't know for sure because Becky, now nearing four years old, had yet to say a single word. 
After laying her dolls on the floor, Becky ran over and gave her father a hug. Darren squeezed her tight, promising himself that he'd never let anything bad happen to his daughter again. Darren and Angie believe that because Becky was so young, she had been traumatized by the neglect more than her older brother had. Unlike his sister, Danny seemed well-adjusted. As a result, Darren and Angie focused more of their attention on Becky, desperately hoping that she would be all right. One Friday evening, as they stopped to pick 15-year-old Nathan up from his grandmother's house, Becky squirmed in her car seat. When she saw her stepbrother emerge from the small home, she reached her arm out to touch the window and said, Nathan. Darren laughed with a mixture of relief and incredulity. Angie spun around to look at her stepdaughter. She couldn't believe what she'd heard. She tried to get Becky to repeat what she had said. Becky smiled back, but as much as Angie coaxed, she couldn't get the girl to say anything else. Before she'd even said dad, Becky knew her stepbrother's name. After that, Darren thought Nathan and Becky were destined to be close. It was clear the three-year-old adored her big brother. Nathan would make it clear, however, the affection wasn't mutual. When we return, Nathan and Becky grow up and grow apart. Hi, listeners. Have you heard ParCast's newest original series yet? It's called Medical Murders, and it exposes a dark and disturbing diagnosis that not every doctor wants to extend your life. Every Wednesday, Medical Murders introduces you to the worst the medical community has to offer. Men and women who took an oath to save lives, but instead use their expertise to develop more sinister specialties. Join my good friend host Alastair Murden as he examines the formative years and motives of history's most infamous killers. Dissecting their medical backgrounds with expert analysis and professional insight provided by practicing MD, Dr. David Kipper. You'll investigate a wide range of heinous healthcare workers like the general practitioner believed to be the most prolific serial killer in modern history, or the dentist who led a double life as a hitman, or even the doctor and gang member who mixed deadly potions for unhappy housewives to use on their husbands. When it comes to these true crime stories, the only thing the doctor ordered is murder. Follow Medical Murders free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. Forget dark alleys and cemeteries. For some, the gym is the scariest place of all, but it doesn't have to be. With a personalized plan and expert coaching, Anytime Fitness can help make the gym less frightening. Get more for your gym membership than machines. Get personalized support anytime, anywhere. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, and restrictions apply. See website for details. Now, back to the story. Although she was just nearing four years old, Becky Watts had already been through considerable trauma. Due to her mother's neglect, she was quiet and withdrawn. Things started to look up when just before her fourth birthday in 2002, Becky finally said her first word. The whole family gasped when the little girl pointed to her stepbrother and said his name, Nathan. 
Becky saying her stepbrother's name was a huge moment and came at a time when her father, Darren, was just starting to get closer to Nathan. Slowly but surely, Darren became the father figure Nathan had wanted for so long, and the two families merged together, though not without some growing pains along the way. For Becky's fourth birthday, Darren built her a playset in their backyard. She was anxious to break in the new toy, but she didn't want to do so alone. Now that the ordeal with social services was over, Becky was coming out of her shell and spoke quite frequently. She followed her brothers, seven-year-old Danny and 15-year-old Nathan around the house, begging them to play with her. Danny humored his little sister, but Nathan refused to acknowledge her. He found Becky obnoxious. He liked it better when she was in foster care and he could have the house to himself on the weekends. Nathan was even more annoyed when his mother, Angie, told him that he would no longer be spending the weekdays at his grandmother's house. Now that Danny and Becky were staying with them full-time, Darian and Angie decided Nathan should too. They imagined loads of fun family bonding, but the following year ended up being one long exercise in conflict management. In the fall of 2003, five-year-old Becky was enrolled at Summerhill Primary, where Danny was already a student. She came home crying nearly every day. Her teachers were concerned about her lack of engagement in the classroom and her inability to converse with her peers. To try to offer her stepdaughter support, Angie took a position as a teacher's assistant in Becky's class, which made Nathan feel ignored by his mother. While Becky was struggling to adjust to school, 16-year-old Nathan was trying to figure out what he would do after graduation. He had never been an outstanding student and didn't have many strong interests. Nathan reminded Darren of himself at 16. He suggested Nathan follow in his footsteps and become a part-time member of the Army Cadets. Nathan followed his stepfather's advice and to his own surprise, thrived in basic training. Darren and Angie were so pleased with his success that as a present for completing his training, they bought him a brand new moped. Soon afterward, Nathan started training to be an electrician at the city of Bristol College. He set his sights on buying a car, so he got an evening job at Domino's delivering pizza on his moped. On weekends when he wasn't working in the reserves, he took shifts at Sainsbury's, a large chain grocery store. Nathan proved himself to be hardworking, dedicated, and responsible. Darren couldn't have been more proud of his stepson. But just a few months later, tragedy struck. Nathan was hit by a car while riding down the highway. Darren and Angie rushed to the emergency room where they found him, dazed, suffering from shock and a broken wrist. His prized moped was found off the side of the road completely crushed. Soon afterward, Nathan soon faced another hit. At just 17 years old, he was diagnosed with fibromyalgia, a disease that causes muscular and skeletal pain, as well as issues with sleep, mood, and memory. According to Nathan, his illness left him racked with pain, chronically depressed and anxious. Following the diagnosis, Nathan worked fewer hours and withdrew from his family. 
he spent most of his time locked in his bedroom, choosing to eat his meals there rather than at the table. Nine-year-old Danny was the only one Nathan seemed to have any patience for. Despite their age difference, the two spent long hours playing video games together in their free time. As her brothers grew closer, six-year-old Becky felt increasingly alone. All through primary school, Becky felt like a misfit. Her classmates teased her about her clothing and her weight, while tests and assignments made her anxious. Nathan, too, was having behavioral issues. The whole family noticed that Nathan was exhibiting questionable behavior around children in his late teens and early 20s. In 2007, when he was 19, he pulled up to Darren and Angie's house with four young girls in his car. The girls couldn't have been more than 12. Darren was horrified and pulled his stepson aside. He demanded to know what Nathan was thinking. Nathan claimed that the girls just wanted to go for a ride. Shocked and confused, Darren ordered Nathan to drive the girls back home. Nathan did as he was told, but stayed at his grandmother's for nearly a week before showing his face at Darren and Angie's again. Two years later, 21-year-old Nathan brought home a girl named Shauna Hoare, who he introduced to Darren and Angie as his girlfriend. Darren could tell right away that Shauna was a child. Unable to control himself, Darren blurted out, are you trying to get yourself arrested? Nathan shot his stepfather an acid glare. He insisted that Shauna was 19, but Darren didn't believe it for a second. He told Nathan to come back with a birth certificate or an ID proving Shauna wasn't a minor. Until then, he wouldn't allow her in the house. Nathan left in a fury. Darren and Angie's dream of building an idyllic family never came to fruition. After Nathan's concerning behavior, Darren didn't trust him around Becky. He wanted to confront Nathan, but worried about pushing his stepson away. Since being diagnosed with fibromyalgia, Nathan had become withdrawn. Darren hoped that his stepson would grow up and realize his mistakes soon. Besides, Darren already had his hands full with Becky. Now 11 years old, her social development was clearly stunted. Angie had been able to keep her stepdaughter company as a teacher's assistant, but now that Becky was approaching secondary school, she needed to become more independent. Becky still hadn't made any good friends and was so shy she could hardly stand to go to the grocery store, even with her parents there to hold her hand. Becky's shyness was undoubtedly made more severe by the bullying she continued to endure. According to Becky, her classmates teased her relentlessly, calling her ugly and fat. She begged Darren and Angie to homeschool her, but they couldn't afford to take enough time off work to teach Becky themselves. With her confidence crushed by bullies, 11-year-old Becky tried to lose weight, hoping that being thinner would make her less of a target. She asked Angie to buy her low-calorie frozen meals and begged Darren to take her to the gym. Although Darren and Angie tried to encourage their daughter to lose weight in a healthy way, Becky skipped meals and exercised until she was dizzy and faint. Becky felt her heart beat rapidly. 
With her eyes fixed on the punching bag hanging in front of her, she reeled her arm back and swung with all her might. Despite her effort, the bag hardly moved. Her face grew hot, though whether from embarrassment or exhaustion, she didn't know. All she knew was that she could feel her father watching from across the gym. She could sense his worry, his constant, overbearing worry. She'd passed out while exercising once, and ever since then, he wouldn't let her come to the gym on her own. Becky knew her father thought she was too skinny, but she didn't agree. When she looked in the mirror, she saw a distorted version of herself. She saw what all the bullies at school told her she was. No matter how thin she became, she couldn't stop seeing it. She kept throwing punches, trying harder and harder to make the bag budge. Her breaths were rapid and her stomach was empty. She continued to swing even while her vision blurred around the edges. Her ears rang. Her father sprinted to her side and caught her as she fainted. By the time she was 12 years old, Becky's weight had dropped to just 73 pounds. Her menstrual periods, which had begun a year earlier, stopped entirely. Terrified for his daughter's health, Darren brought her to a doctor who diagnosed her with anorexia and severe social anxiety. When 23-year-old Nathan heard the news, he accused Becky of faking her eating disorder for attention. Anorexia nervosa is a highly complicated disorder that can be influenced by social conditioning, peer pressure, and personal psychology. In Becky's case, her strongest motivation seemed to be to escape the scrutiny of her peers, not to get more attention. Her eating disorder was also likely spurred on by other less conscious motivations. In their essay, Hungry to be Noticed, Young Women, Anorexia and Schooling, Psychologist Emma Rich, Rachel Holroyd, and John Evans described disordered eating as a reaction to feeling powerless or out of control. Becky knew what it was like to be powerless. Her early childhood neglect and her inability to protect herself from Nathan's advances could have caused her to feel helpless. According to Rich, Holroyd, and Evans, Compulsive exercise and self-starvation can be a way to demonstrate autonomy and symbolic control. In other words, if someone with anorexia nervosa can control their body, they may feel less anxiety about their lack of control over other things. To help Becky confront these feelings and recover from her eating disorder, she spent two hours each week meeting with a child psychologist. It was during one of these meetings that she told her therapist, she felt unsafe around her stepbrother. In February 2010, shortly after Becky's confession, 23-year-old Nathan brought his underage girlfriend Shauna back to Darren and Angie's house. Darren couldn't believe the couple was still together. Before he brought Shauna inside, Nathan showed his stepfather her birth certificate, which showed she had just recently turned 16. Darren was shocked. That meant when 21-year-old Nathan brought Shauna over two years prior, she had been around 14 years old. Darren was disgusted by the age gap between Nathan and Shauna, but he was also still worried about pushing his stepson away. 
it had taken years to gain Nathan's trust. Accusing him of being troublingly interested in adolescents might destroy their relationship forever, and Darren wasn't ready to take that risk. Ultimately, he agreed to let Shauna inside, although it made Darren uneasy to watch the couple cuddling on the couch, Angie seemed to think that Shauna could be good for Nathan. Ever since his fibromyalgia diagnosis, he'd been depressed and reclusive, but Shauna brought him out of his shell. As much as Darren and Angie wanted to convince themselves that there was good in Nathan's relationship, it was toxic from the start. Nathan's attraction to Shauna was predatory, and under UK law defined as sexual activity with a child, he groomed her into thinking their relationship was healthy. Darren and Angie might have seen a brighter, more outgoing version of their son when Shauna was around, but when she and Nathan were alone, he turned into something much worse. Up next, Nathan becomes a monster. Elevate every morning with Tommy John's Second Skin Underwear. The luxurious support of Second Skin guarantees everything will go smoothly. With over 20 million pairs sold and thousands of five-star reviews, guys love Tommy John. Plus, your most valuable assets are covered with Tommy John's best pair you'll ever wear or its free guarantee. Shop Tommy John's friends and family sale right now and get 25% off site-wide at tommyjohn.com slash Spotify. tommyjohn.com slash Spotify. See site for details. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price, Priceline. Now, back to the story. In February of 2010, things were tough for Darren and Angie Goldsworthy. Darren's daughter, 12-year-old Becky, had been diagnosed with anorexia, but was seeing a child psychologist and showing signs of recovery. Meanwhile, Angie's son, 23-year-old Nathan, was in a relationship with a 16-year-old girl named Shauna. Although it made Darren and Angie uneasy, they were afraid to come down too hard on Nathan, who had been depressed and was diagnosed with a chronic pain condition six years prior. Instead of confronting Nathan, they allowed the relationship to continue. That summer, Becky celebrated her 13th birthday. She was back up to a normal weight and even ate a full slice of chocolate cake. Because bullying at school contributed to her disordered eating, Becky started ninth grade the following year with the Bristol Hospital Education Service. Within a few weeks, she'd made two close friends and even took a position mentoring sixth and seventh graders. Although she remained shy, she gained more confidence every day. Not everyone in the household could bear the tension, however. It's unclear exactly why, but in 2011, 16-year-old Danny decided to move back in with his mother, Tanya. He came to visit Darren and Angie every so often, but they saw less and less of him as the years went on. After he left, things got even more complicated. In September 2011, Angie woke up unable to see. After a few days, her vision returned, 
but the experience was terrifying. It took nine months of tests before doctors concluded Angie had developed multiple sclerosis, a condition that affects the nerves in the brain and spinal cord, leading to problems with muscle movement, balance, and vision. After his mother's diagnosis, 25-year-old Nathan, who was still living at home, took his stress and grief out on 14-year-old Becky. When Becky left her things lying around the house, Nathan accused her of trying to trip Angie. In Nathan's mind, Becky was thoughtless, selfish, and out to hurt his mother. Becky may have been careless occasionally, but according to both of her parents, she didn't have a malicious bone in her body. She was gentle, quiet, and eager to be liked. As Nathan continued to bring 18-year-old Shauna over, Becky tried to form a friendship with a girl who was closer to her age than her stepbrothers. In her early teens, Becky started to experiment with fashion and makeup, but was too shy to go to shops and did all of her shopping online. Because she couldn't try anything on before she bought it, she ended up with plenty of ill-fitting clothing. Instead of returning the items as her father wanted her to, Becky gave Shauna her clothes. Shauna always took what Becky offered. According to Darren, however, she was dismissive of Becky and never properly thanked her for the gifts. When Darren asked Becky why she continued to give Shauna presents, Becky responded, I want her to be my friend. The overly generous behavior Becky displayed towards Shauna might have been an example of what psychologists term indiscriminate friendliness or a lack of inhibition with strangers. Researchers from the Oregon Social Learning Center have found that children who experienced early neglect or spent time in foster care were more likely to exhibit risky behavior like indiscriminate friendliness. They also hypothesized that neglectful and abusive parenting is linked to the formation of insecure attachments. An insecure attachment style is one dominated and motivated by fear and is distinct but related to indiscriminate friendliness. As a survivor of childhood neglect, Becky craved stability and love, but didn't always know where to look for those things. To Becky, Shauna seemed like a potential friend, even if the 18-year-old had no interest in her. Shauna and Becky had more in common than either of them realized. For the first 13 years of her life, Shauna bounced from foster home to foster home, living with six different families before her mother finally got custody of her. However, her mother also had seven other children and couldn't keep a close eye on Shauna. Less than a year after moving in with her biological family, 14-year-old Shauna met 21-year-old Nathan. Nathan groomed Shauna into thinking their relationship was normal and healthy. While it seemed to Darren and Angie that she brought out the brighter side of their son's personality, things were far different in private. Nathan was manipulative, controlling, and sexually aggressive. By the time Shauna was 18, Nathan was keeping tabs on her at all times, constantly paranoid that she was trying to see other men. In stark contrast to the feverish work ethic of his teenage years, 25-year-old Nathan quit working altogether. He said the pain from his fibromyalgia was too much to bear, but Darren suspected it had more to do with his stepson wanting to control Shauna. 
In later statements, Shauna reported that Nathan handled her money, so she had to go through him to get food or cigarettes. He even forced her to drop out of college because he feared she was getting too close to other men. Shauna said that during one argument, Nathan threw her on the bed and strangled her until she almost blacked out. When she tried to break up with him, he allegedly scratched his face and stabbed himself with a dinner fork. Darren and Angie had no idea how abusive the relationship was. Angie's struggles with multiple sclerosis distracted her and Darren from Nathan's transformation. Only Shauna knew what he was truly capable of. Shauna felt trapped, but soon she became even more dependent on Nathan. In mid-2013, 26-year-old Nathan announced that Shauna was pregnant at the age of 19. With Darren and Angie's help, the couple moved into state-subsidized housing in East Bristol. They gathered essentials and welcomed a baby girl into the world in early 2014. 15-year-old Becky was ecstatic to be an aunt, but Nathan told her she wasn't allowed anywhere near the baby. Darren and Angie couldn't understand why Nathan was so cruel to his stepsister. As Becky's confidence grew, Nathan seemed intent on destroying it. Although he and Shauna now had their own house, they visited Darren and Angie's often. Nathan made a habit of hiding behind corners and jumping out to scare Becky. According to Shauna, he thought the look of fear on Becky's face was hilarious. As Becky turned the corner into the kitchen, she screamed and jumped backwards. Nathan had been waiting there, ready to pounce the moment he saw her. Now he stood before her, laughing hysterically. Becky bent forward, hands on her knees, and steadied her breathing. Her face grew pink. She hated how easily he got under her skin. For years, he'd been making her life miserable. She'd never been anything but nice to him. She couldn't understand why he hated her. Becky wanted to run to her room and hide, but that would mean Nathan had won. She had to stand her ground. He couldn't know how afraid he made her. She knew Nathan liked making her uncomfortable. That's what scared her the most. Becky wasn't the only one who feared Nathan. Shauna too had good reason to be scared. Recently, she'd become a registered carer for Angie. On top of taking care of the new baby, the job kept Shauna stressed and busy. She had little time to devote to Nathan, who became frustrated at the lack of physical affection between them. He had always been sexually demanding, even though Shauna was nearing 21 and Nathan was almost 28, he still had a fixation on children. According to later investigations of his computer history, Nathan viewed pornography at least once a day. The vast majority of the videos he watched featured age play and women dressed as schoolgirls. Shauna speculated that Nathan's obsession with pornography developed shortly after he was diagnosed with fibromyalgia. He spent weeks alone in his room, which gave him ample opportunity to download and watch explicit videos. His inappropriate attraction to teenage girls was something that Shauna felt complicit in, as she was a minor when she and Nathan first got together. She had always hoped he saw her as mature, as older than she really was. 
But now, she understood that her age hadn't been something Nathan ignored all those years ago. It was something he liked, the selling point of their whole relationship. And now, Nathan wasn't satisfied. Shauna was too old for him. It embarrassed Shauna. But after enduring pressure from Nathan, she agreed to a threesome with another unnamed girl. Still, it wasn't enough. Nathan would later report that his fibromyalgia made him feel inadequate and useless. Perhaps to combat these feelings, he sought to control those who were younger than him. In December 2014, with a one-year-old baby at home, 28-year-old Nathan started talking to Shauna about kidnapping a teenager. At first, it seemed like a creepy joke, but when they were out in public, Nathan started pointing at young girls and singling them out as potential victims. He wanted Shauna to help him lure a teenager to their home. A series of text messages later revealed that Shauna played along, though whether she was serious or just too afraid to contradict Nathan is unclear. In one message from December 2014, Shauna said, "'Just went into Costcutter and saw a pretty petite girl. Almost knocked her out to bring her home, LOL, XOXO. Nathan responded, "'Don't you almost me. Now do it.'" Shauna maintained that she never believed Nathan was serious about committing a kidnapping. According to her, she thought it was all a fantasy, even after he bought stun guns, handcuffs, and duct tape. Meanwhile, Darren and Angie remained oblivious to Nathan's perversion. They were still focused on managing Angie's MS and fostering Becky's self-confidence. Because she had been so socially withdrawn during primary school, Darren and Angie rarely refused her request to hang out with friends. On the night of Tuesday, February 17, 2015, 16-year-old Becky met up with her boyfriend of four months, 17-year-old Luke Oberhansley. Darren loved Luke because he brought out an outgoing, bubbly side of Becky's personality that he'd never seen before. That night, the young couple played video games together in Becky's bedroom until Luke left late in the evening. He would later report that Becky seemed in perfect spirits and nothing was out of the ordinary. When Darren came home from work around 11 o'clock that night, Becky asked him to make her a pizza. Although he was exhausted, Darren would never refuse his daughter a meal. After everything they went through with her anorexia, he was just happy to see her eating. He threw together a pizza for her and told her good night before heading to bed. He had no idea it would be the last time he saw his daughter alive. Thanks again for tuning into Crimes of Passion. We'll be back Wednesday with part two of Nathan and Becky's story. You can find more episodes of Crimes of Passion and all other podcast originals for free on Spotify. Not only does Spotify already have all of your favorite music, but now Spotify is making it easy for you to enjoy all of your favorite podcast originals, like Crimes of Passion for free from your phone, desktop, or smart speaker. 
To stream Crimes of Passion on Spotify, just open the app and type Crimes of Passion in the search bar. We'll see you next time when true love meets true crime. Crimes of Passion was created by Max Cutler and is a ParCast Studios original. Executive producers include Max and Ron Cutler. Sound designed by Trent Williamson. With production assistance by Ron Shapiro, Carly Madden, and Aaron Larson. This episode of Crimes of Passion was written by Karis Allen. With writing assistance by Abigail Cannon. I'm Lainey Hobbs. Hi, listeners. Don't forget to check out the gripping new ParCast original series, Medical Murders. From trauma surgeons to hospice staff, medical professionals are trained to give exceptional care. But what about those who use their skills not to heal, but hurt? Every Wednesday, meet the worst the medical community has to offer. Men and women who took an oath to save lives, but instead use their expertise to develop more sinister specialties. Follow Medical Murders free on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts.